Yosef. And we said we're going to explore an interesting response from the Chavas Yoyer. But we have lots to see. Everyone is warmly invited to participate. Plenty of copies. Was macht man? Okay, and we begin. So getting right into it, the, the chief story in Pasha's Vayeshev, and there's a few stories, but the chief story has to be the brothers selling Yosef, a very troublesome story. And uh, we begin actually with the Haftarah. The Haftarah of Parshas Vayeshev is from the Novi Amos, who was a Novi during the first Beis Hamikdash, and he was a Novi to the Northern Kingdom, which is actually quite um, important. That's a crucial fact, as we will see later. And he says, in number one, so he, Amos in the beginning, he speaks to all the different nations and says, you know, that for three sins that they did, maybe the Abishtu will overlook, maybe not, but the fourth one, definitely not. And then he turns his attention to the Yidin and he says, Hashem, so said God, Yisrael on three sins of the Yidin. The three sins, the three sins is one thing, but on the fourth one, I will not respond to them. What sin is the Abishtu referring to that he must take retribution? Al Michram Bakesef Tzadik, because they sold the Tzadik for money, the Evian and the poor man Ba'avur Na'alayim for a pair of shoes. Now, simply, this Pasuk does not refer to selling Yosef, it refers to other iniquities that were being, um, that the Yidin were unfortunately practicing during the first place. But the Medrash Rabbah says in Parshish Noyach, that the word tzaddik here refers to Yosef. Yosef is a tzaddik, just like Noyach. Noyach is referred to as a tzaddik, the only one in Chumash. And Yosef is the tzaddik that's in reference over here. And the Pasuk is referring to the brothers that sold him. And they sold him for shoes. If you look in Targum Yenison Ben Ozi on this week's parsha, he also says, you know what the brothers did with the money? You know what they did with the money? They bought shoes. And the what? Is that where he got this book? Is this where he got it from? So on Yom Kippur, we say, and over here we actually say it in English, right? The service is kind of uh, focuses on this on the machzor being passed around, and everyone reads a paragraph of the Asodu Gemalchus, and the description in the machzor of the ten. Yiddish Tanoim being murdered by the Romans begins with the Caesar. You have both? Is it, uh, begins with the Caesar calling the Tanoim into a room, and the room was full of shoes, etc., etc. Well, that probably never happened. It's just a, you know, it's a martial euphemism just to, you know, to paint the scene. You know, Shem Kippur, you know, it's a, the, the people already bored of the Shmek Tabak. And, uh, you know, it's getting late, so they threw in this beautiful, interesting story. In truth, the ten Harugi Malchus were not killed together. They were killed over a span of many decades, possibly up to 80 years. Because some of them were killed right after the Churban, namely, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's Elter Zedah. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel was murdered, together with Rabbi Shmuel the Kohen Gadol, 
And only decades, decades later was Rabbi Akiva killed, and even after him, uh, some of the other ones. So, in truth, it took place over a span of time. But, uh, what? If it took place. Ex- yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, the Duke of they were all they were all switched. They were all switched last minute. Right, we have a, we have a long shear on that too. Akaponim, we're not going to speak about the Ten Harugim Malchus, not this year, maybe a different time. But, the Shvatim, what did they do with the cash? Shoes. They got 20 silver pieces in the Medrash Pirka de Rabelezer. In the Medrash Pirka de Rabelezer, says they split it 10 ways because uh, there were 12 brothers. Yosef was the one being sold. Binyamin was at home. 12 minus 2 is 10. That leaves 10. They all got two piece silver pieces ahead, and they bought a nice pair of shoes with that. So there happens to be a big deliberation about Ruvain. It's, the Pirkei Lezer says that there were 20 silver pieces. They split it by 10, two pieces ahead. It sounds like Reuven knew about it. Reuven was in on it. The problem is the Zoyer says black and white that Reuven did not know what happened to Yosef until years later, until Yosef um, reveals who he is in Parshish Vayigash. The biggest proof is in Parshish Mikates, when the, when the brothers are in Mitzrayim and they're languishing in Egypt, and they say, you know why this is happening? It's because we didn't have Rachmanus on Yosef. And Reuven says, I told you so, I told you so, don't hurt the kids. But what does Reuven mean? Reuven told them, you see, originally Shimon and Levi wanted to kill Yosef. Reuven softened the blow and says, just throw him in a pit. Reuven's intention was to save him. The brothers didn't know that. As far as they were concerned, Reuven wanted him to die passively. Let the snakes and scorpions kill him. Yod al don't do it yourselves. Let him die passively. And then Yehuda softened the blow further by selling him. Now, if Reuven knew about the sale, then Fakert, Yehuda was the good guy here. He spared Yosef from death. Reuven would have had him killed. So how in Parshish Mikates could Reuven say, I told you so? Doesn't make any sense. They would tell him, what do you mean? You wanted him to die. We, you know, so obviously Reuven says the Zohar didn't even know that he had been sold. He thought maybe the brothers had taken him out and killed him or something. He thought the brothers had actually put their hands on him, and he said, I told you not to do that. Anyway, that's the opinion of the Zoyer. So the Shaila is, does the Pirkei Drebelezer debate that fact? Because it says they split the money ten ways, two pieces ahead. So the David Luria, the Radal, the great Mephirish on Medrash, he says that, no, it could be that they gave Reuven the money and didn't tell him what the money was for. It's Hanukkah time, right? We read this for Hanukkah guilt. They didn't tell him. They said, yeah, we're all buying shoes. He didn't ask any questions. He was more than happy to get a new pair of shoes. Nishka Frek, Ken That's So if you say that, then there's actually no debate. And the Pik, the Blazer, and the Zoya both agree that Reuben never knew. And he still got the money. Al Kaponim, they bought shoes. So the Shaila is, why shoes? Why would that be the thing that they bought? So we're going to explore some fascinating things, some fascinating stuff. And this takes us right away to number two. Number two is a comment of the Shalom. You see, the brothers obviously, you know, they did a huge, a huge act against their brother. Were they justified or were they not? Now, it's a big question which, with an even bigger answer. There's obviously many perspectives. Ultimately, though, as Betty Maybrook said, we know that the ten brothers received their punishment not in that lifetime, although Yehuda did. It's brought in Medrash Rabbah black and white. Yehuda had the power to bring Yosef back home. Yehuda could have told the brothers, take him out of the pit and bring him back to Yaakov. Uh, to Yaakov. 
and he didn't, and therefore he actually burdened the responsibility of the sale and the pain of Yaakov. Therefore, right away, what happens to Yehuda? He marries, his wife passes away, his children, Erva Oinim, pass away. It says in Medrashah, black and white, that was a punishment. Yehuda received punishment, Boilem Hazer, with his two kids and his wife, because he ultimately burdened the responsibility of what happened because it was beyond it. They would have all listened to him. They would have all listened to him. And, you know, he chose to go ahead with the sale. Yeah, he softened the blow. He pulled him out of the pit. But, you know, that's a... He doesn't get much of a pat on the back. In fact, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, right? Whoever prays, Beitseya Beirich Nietz Hashem, whoever benches the Beitseya, the one that said, Ma Betza, which is Yehuda, Nietz Hashem angers God. Yehuda, very, very critical Gemara in Sanhedrin, that Yehuda doesn't really deserve any praise, Fakert. He got, he got pinned in this world. But the other Shvatim, Lachir, and not. What? Good question. That's a good question. That's a great question. Nonetheless, the Medjish Rabbi says that Yehuda was punished, but the other Shvatim weren't. Until the ten Harugim Malchus, many, many years later. It's brought in many Svarim of Kabbalah that the ten Tanoim that were murdered by the Romans were in fact Gilgulim, the incarnations of the ten brothers, and that's when they received their punishment, which L'Chorim means they did something wrong. If they received punishment, they were wrong. So what's the deal? Were they wrong? If they were wrong, so how did they do it? Like, what were they thinking? Look at number two. This is a famous Hagor of the Shalor. It's a note that he wrote, you know, after a little note he added in his Sefer, says that don't ask why were they punished? The Shalosh says that they judged him, they didn't stam kill him out of a, you know, emotion or hate, they made a psak, it was a deliberate psak, we'll see what the psak was, it's different opinions. But the Shalosh is asking if there was a psak, so why ultimately were they punished? L'chari is referring to the fact that they came back as the ten Haruge Malchus. So Yesh I'll tell you why. It says in Talmud If somebody makes a mistake, but they should have known better. And why they make the mistake? Because they just didn't learn. That's negligence. It's sheer negligence. And it's tantamount to Zodan to deliberate. It's almost like it's deliberate because it's it's sheer negligence. So it says Says the Shalah, the Shvatim should have realized the truth of the matter. Their hate thwarted you know, their judgment. Because they hated him, they didn't get the halacha right. Now, what exactly is he referring to? Somehow, they, they made some error. Because of their hate, they made some error in judgment. So, although they gave a psaki deserves to die, they erred in their judgment. They should have known better. It was due to their hate that they erred, and therefore they were punished. So what is the Shalot talking about? So we go on our journey. Number three. Rashi says that when the brothers... Um, well, let's see. Yosef was sent by Yaakov to go to Shechem. Yaakov trusted the brothers wouldn't harm his son. He sent Yosef to Shechem. Go see how they're doing. Go see how the... There's a few more. Wow, it's a sellout crowd today, so we're running out of copies over here. Brothers, be a judge? Uh, uh, good question. Good question. So, by Benoyach. By Benoyach. So, 
Yosef comes to Shechem and he meets a person. Who's the fellow? Gavriel. And Gavriel tells him they're not here anymore. They've gone to Doison. Says Rashi, I heard them saying, Nelcha Doison, let's go to Doison. Says Rashi, what's Doison? Levakish Lecha, they want to seek out for you. Nichle Dosos. Lawful pretext. Dosos is like religion. Lawful pretext. Sheyimisuchubahem to kill you with. In other words, they're scheming and they're planning how they can contrive a lawful scheme with which to kill you. Well, if it's a place in there was a place called Dyson. But the fact that they were there and the fact that we're told the name of the place perhaps is because they were looking for, for lawful pretext to knock off Yosef. So that's all Rashi says. He doesn't say what the lawful pretexts were. Look at number four, the Ramban. Sorry about my arts and crafts over here. <laughs> So the Pasuk says, so Yosef, Yosef heads towards the brothers. And it says, Now these words are key words. The simple meaning is, they conspired against him to kill him. We're going to see there are those that learn just the opposite. But the Ramban learns, they, they were full of conspiracy. Against him. And Rashi learns that clearly. Rashi says, they became full of um Conspiracy to put him to death. Now says the Ramban, they were thinking how to kill him, with their um, conspiracies, that they will plan and contrive. So the Ramban says like this, that they saw Yosef from the distance, they busy had a team meeting, you know, how can we somehow knock him off, you know, before he gets too close? You know, for example, uh, th- well, let's see, he's going to say an example. They were thinking, you know, let's not wait till he comes here and choke him to death, God forbid. How can we cause his death from a distance? And then he quotes the Bracious Rabbi, let's send the dogs. Beautiful. Let's send the dog in his direction, the dogs in his direction. So we're only a grama, we're only causative. And for a yid, if, you, if a yid kills, God forbid, through a causative act of murder, then the Ritzach doesn't get killed, it's just grama. And uh, that way they don't have to do it, you know, mamish with their hands. Says Ramban, it could be that they did send the dogs. It could be they did. But it didn't work. You know, Yosef, uh, the booby trap failed. But then when they saw that Yosef's Atat is right here, they couldn't kill them with their plans and their schemes. So then they said, that's it. We've got we to kill him with our bare hands. Amru Ishalachev once said to his brother, he's already here. Now we got to kill him ourselves. And that was a discussion Shimon and Levi had. Well, the Ramban is not talking about Bezdin Bechal. He just asked that. I said it by Ben Noyach, a judge could be a relative. And um, the Ramban is actually saying there was no, but the Ramban is saying the two stages was like this. The scheming was as Yosef was only en route, en route, they wanted to see if they could cause him off through a grama, throw, uh, send dogs in his direction, and they wanted to kill them, to kill him, you know, with their own bare hands. That was the scheming. It didn't work. Yosef came directly towards them, and then their next plan, Plan B, was to kill him with their bare hands. But Rashi, so the Ramban is learning differently. Ramban doesn't say this word of dosos. There was some legal pretext. Ramban learns the scheming 
was something else. The whole, what the, because the Khair, if they were just going to choke him to death, what's the scheming? The Ramban says the scheming was, how can we knock him off without touching him? <coughs> Rashi learns the scheming was to find the lawful pretext, to find the halacha, psak. Right? They all try, what's this vayisnakl? The Ramban says the scheming was how to knock him off without touching him. And Rashi says the scheming was to find a lawful justification. Now we come to number five, the Sephorno. The Sephorno, vayisnaklu oiselam, the Sephorno is one of the great, great Mepharshim on Chumash. He lives in Italy. He's born in the mid-1400s. He lives to the mid-1500s, Le'erich. He was a doctor. He spent uh, many years actually in Rome. Apparently, he even taught in a university, one of the Goetia universities. He taught Lashon Kaidish. Uh, he was an expert in language. Now he has lots of diktuk in his pidush. You know, he learned Latin and Arabic and, uh, and whatnot. And he actually, I think he gave class in university in Lashon Kaidish. For some reason, he had to leave Rome. And he was wandering around Italy until he came to Bologna. And they served him for supper spaghetti bolognese. And he said, that's it. I am sitting down right over here. And he sat down in Bologna. That's just a joke. I think authentic spaghetti bolognese <laughs> was Basra Bukhalov. Yeah. Exactly. It says so, yeah. so he, But he saw the chvesist. Anyhow, but whatever the reason was, he settled in Bologna. And he actually opened up a yeshiva. And he had a print house there, too. Anyhow, was he part of the Kabbalistic movement? No, not that we know of. Not that we know of. He was a philosopher. He himself was uh, well-read in all philosophy, but he writes actually that you just have to learn Torah and you know everything you need to know. And he actually says people think you have to learn all these other things. In order to really deal with an apikiris, you have to be well-read. You have to know Greek philosophy and Arabic and etc. etc. He said it's not emes. He says you learn Torah, you'll have everything you need. But he himself actually, you know, was well versed, as the Minig was in Italy. You know, they were all um, well educated. Al Kaponim says this farno. Hine loshen nachal yoira al lahora. Nachal means to conspire. Omar, the potuk saying like this. You know, the Sforno says like this. Vayisnaklu means they felt that they were being conspired against. Oisai means through Yosef. Lahamisai means for him to kill. Rashi learns Vaisnaklu means they were full of um, conspiracy against Yosef. Lahamisai to kill Yosef. The Sfarnas flips it. He says Vaisnaklu means they thought that they were being conspired against. Oisai through Yosef. Lahamisai for him to kill them. They thought, why is Yosef coming here? Who sent you? No, means for him to kill. The oy is for his for his act of murder. For him to kill. Right. That's how he teaches. And he brings a couple of psukim to support this theory. But the Sforno learns the brothers see Yosef. Why is he coming? They know what he was up to. When they were in Hebron, he was telling Yaakov, he was telling Yaakov that they're eating Avim and Achai, they're hanging out with women. They were really, he was stirring up the pot. He was getting Yaakov on the verge to curse them. Now, the brothers knew if Yankov curses you, it's not good. Look what happened to Rachel. Yankov said, whoever stole Lavan's Trophim will die, and Rachel died. More than that, they knew historically, Avram, only one of Avram's kids, you know, ultimately continued the line, Yitzchak. 
Only one of Yitzchak's kids continued the line, Yankov. They were worried that Yosef thought that he was the one kid that was going to continue Yankov's line. And they thought that Yosef was working on seeing some, he was spying on them to return to his father and inform, and then Yankov will either disown them or curse them and they will die. Yosef himself, he lost 10, right. The foes was because of the zera that came out of the ten fingers. Gemara says inside. What? Exactly. Exactly. Ela told us Yaakov Yosef. Listen. Oh, exactly. Let's finish. Anyhow, They thought, you know, why he's coming. He's not coming to be doyish our peace. He's coming to find alilo Either Yosef's trying to find some libel, you know, to frame them on something, or to cause them to sin pashut in order that father should curse them or God should punish them. And he'll be the only one remaining of the kids. Just like Avram had Yitzchak and Yitzchak had Yankov, or Yankov will have Yosef and Zehu. The Lashon, he spoiled Yoyer al-Tsir ad-Dorva benefesh. Vayisnaklu, vayunachlu might mean they conspired against somebody else. Vayisnaklu, you say we're having already uh, two, two weeks in a row, we're going into Diktuk. Vaisnaklu means that they were conspired against, but it means they were imagining they were being conspired against. Right. But Seir Hadover Benefesh, it's they imagined that they they felt they were being um, conspired against. Kmay Atom Isnakish Benashi. You know, it says here it's Shom. It's actually meant to be Shmuel. It's a funny mistake. Shom would mean back in um, Sefer Bamid, but it's actually Shmuel. It's a story when um, Shol travels incognito to the mother of Avner, and he wants to, the, the witch, the, the necromancer, to bring up uh, Shmuel from the dead. And she says, don't you, she didn't know who it was, she says, don't you know that Shoal forbade, you know, and killed anyone that uh, participates in these actions? And she tells him, you are misnakish benafshi. She tells the person who happens to be Shoal, she doesn't know at the time, you are misnakish benafshi, you are thinking of ways to, to hurt me. Metzayah Bovavcha, you're thinking, you're planning ways, Moikish, a trap, on my soul. So similarly, Ovevesnaklu means that they, they felt, but they were being conspired against. You see, in the story in Shmuel, she's telling him, not that you are thinking you're being conspired, you're thinking to conspire against me. But here, by the Shvatim, it's they felt they were cons- being conspired against. Anyhow, Veloshin Lahamisoy Lahamisa doesn't mean to kill him. It means for him to kill. Shayom is who is Echov. He should kill the brothers. And he brings a few rias. Go down a, four, a couple words. Now you understand the whole story. They were all Sadikim Gemurim. Their names are on the Choshin in front of Hashem forever. How could they have done such a thing? How did they get together to kill their brother or to sell him? And they did. And Bechlal, the Sforna famously holds, the brothers never second-guessed their decision. The Sforna writes here, and he also writes again in Miketz, a startling thing. In Miketz, you're talking about years later, two decades later, when again we mentioned that the brothers are saying, why are we having these troubles in Egypt? The Abishta is punishing us because why? Because of what we did to Yosef. But what particularly do they say? He says, In Pashas Mikitz, when the brothers say they're guilty, They don't say they're guilty for selling him or for causing his death. They say we're guilty that Yosef was crying to us and we didn't listen to his pleas. 
Ella al they were cruel why he was mischanan. <clears throat> so the Sfarna is saying that when the brothers have their regret in Pashas Mikes, their regret is limited to the fact that they listen, what we did was right. But apparently we should have gone beyond the letter of the law. However, he was crying when Yosef was in the pit. Yosef was crying. Yosef was screaming, help me. And the brothers, they sat and eat bread. You know, and he's busy crying. He's screaming for help. And they turned a deaf ear. That was the Abish's problem with them. But for the, they, you know, they should have gone beyond the letter of the law. But the actual psak that he deserved to die, they, were, they, they never, never had second thoughts about their psak. And the Pesach here is telling you that the brothers imagined in their mind, they felt very clear, they considered Yosef as a conspirator, a conspirator, to kill them in this world or in the next world or both. And the Torah gives a general rule. We learn in Pashas Mishpatim from the guy that digs the tunnel in the middle of the night to enter your house. One who comes to kill you, Hashkim Lahorga, kill him first. So this incredible Sfarna that the brothers were sure that Yosef was up to no good. Yosef was going to cause their demise. And the terrorist says, you got to act first. Yes. If somebody, here's an interesting thing. If Reuven is going to kill Shimon in a way of Gurama, in a way of Gurama, can an onlooker kill Reuven? Is Reuven halachically a raider? Can an on, but Reuven, Reuven is doing an act that he wouldn't be killed in Bezdin for. A guy, a guy gets killed for killing through Grama, not a Yid. So if Reuven is killing Shimon through Grama, Reuven's act of murder is not something Bezdin would kill Reuven for. So is Reuven halachically a raider that you should be able to kill him? So there's a discussion about that. But when it comes to self-defense, everyone agrees it's different. When it comes to self-defense, even if the perpetrator is not halachically a raidif, you're allowed to kill. And the rai is from a Meiri in Sanhedrin. We once mentioned here an eerie, an eerie Meiri. And that is that there's a din if a, if a woman's suffering in childbirth and the, wife's at, the mother's wife is at stake, then before the baby's head comes out, then... Um, We'll take the life of the baby to save the mother. Once the head comes out, you can't. While the baby's inside, the baby's considered a roidif, and also the baby's not a full-fledged person, and the mother's life, the mother's blood is considered redder than the baby's blood. Once the head comes out, they're equal. You know, the baby's... A doctor or an onlooker, or a third party cannot play God and decide that the baby should go and the mother should live. But the Me'iri says, but the mother's allowed to take the life of the baby. I, the baby's not a lochli or because it's natural childbirth. It's mishamaya. Uh, it's, it's, it's heavenly ordained. It's not a real roidif. And the baby's a full-fledged being. So no one else could take the life of the baby. But the Me'iri says the mother can. Because even though the baby's not a lochli or when it comes to self-defense, the person doesn't have to halachically be a raidif. Another crazy case, I actually spoke about the Bachrim. If, uh, if you have a guy who's sitting on a mattress, he, Reuven's on a mattress, he has no idea that Shimon's underneath the mattress suffocating to death. So Reuven is a raidif, but Oynes, he has absolutely no idea, there's no way for him to know. An onlooker cannot kill Reuven. Reuven's not halachically a raidif, because he has no idea he has... He's not a of b'shoigig. This is not a mistake. He has, there's no way for him to know. It's mamish and oinus. But if Shimon's under the mattress, he could take out his gun and shoot through the mattress and kill Reuven. 
because self-defense has this, and there's many, uh, the Rivash, the Rivash has a famous psak that when it comes to a roidif, if you're a third party, before you knock off, if you see Reuven running after Shimon to kill him and you're the savior, if you're able to, you have to warn Reuven. You can't kill Reuven until you warn him. Unless you're a mile away and you're a sniper, right? Then there's no way for you to get the message across. But if you're nearby, you have to scream out to Reuven, one more step and I'll kill you. But the Rivash says Shimon himself was being pursued, doesn't have to. He can just turn around with his gun and kill Reuven. So we find many, uh, well, many differences. Right, 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 so by a... What? He's not... He's not... Nachama? Someone put someone in a lion's den. All right, so you can see the Gemara over there in, uh, in, uh, in Sanhedrin, in Sanhedrin, which discusses all the different cases of Grama, and when it's... What? Why does he regret it then? They were wrong, though. No, 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 no. Well, well... They never, they they never conceded to that. Even they then, never. They, bl- they knew he wasn't. No, they knew he was. Rashi says in today's Chumash, Yosef was tattletaling. Vayave Yosef Yosef brought all the negative stories to his father. He was, and they felt Yankers on the edge of cursing us. One more story, one more story, and boom, he'll knock us off. And uh, so the Svarner's not saying whether they were right or wrong. He's saying that they felt they were right. And they always felt they're right till the last day, till the last day. It's fascinating. That's what this foreigner says. Let's see number six to Erechai. We're going to see a couple more. You'll see where we're going with this. At least I hope we'll see. Anyhow, number six. The Erechai, so the Erechai is a little more recent. He's in the times of the Baal Shem Tev. He was spent most of his life in Morocco. And uh, the last year of his life, he was in the Holy Land, in Eretz Yisrael. Says the Erechayim, Be'im Tomer, you're going to wonder, Almi Samcho Shivteka, Ladegas Anefesh, on who did the Shvatim rely to kill a soul? Umagam Nefesh Sadik Achayim, and not just anybody, they're killing their brother Yosef. Hagam Sheyatsu Lara Goyse Bederach Sheinim Chayom Kmeshkas, and the I, they wanted to kill him in a way they wouldn't be obligated. The Erechayim says before that their plan was when they said, Let's kill him, Sirashi learns. It was Shimon telling Levi. Rashi says in Vayechi, it was only two brothers who wanted to kill him with their bare hands. He learns no. With all the brothers together, so let's kill him together. Because the Allah is, if ten people kill somebody all together, the kulam pturim. Fine, but if it's all the same time, exactly, if it's all the same time, if ten people all, you know, lower the guillotine or they all somehow shoot the bullet, kulam pturim. So that was their scam. But nonetheless, says the Rechaim, that won't help when you stand in front of God, that ain't going to help you. Yet, Bezdom won't kill 10 people if they kill someone at the same time. As far as the Abish is concerned, they're all murderers. The Hashem the Abishter will come to judgment. What? The number 10, like 10 people? Like yeah, it's just, that's, just, that's just the case of the Gemara. And it happens to be you know, still the 10 brothers. Like 10. What? Yeah, 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 it's two or more. No, but the, no, the Gemara says ten, according to the Erechaim, you know why it says ten? Because it starts off with the case of the Shvatim, perhaps. That, that's what the Gemara, anyhow. So he says, but what, the, the brothers, they plan to escape earthly judgment, but how are they going to run away from God? Ula, he says, maybe, Sha'achim dono boy din The brothers paskened he was an aid zaymim. We know if... Two Adam testify, Reuven broke Shabbos, and they're going to cause Reuven to get the death penalty. 
And two other Adim come and say to the first two Adim, you weren't even there that Shabbos when you say Reuven broke Shabbos. You were, you were with us elsewhere. So we tell the first Adim, ah, you were trying to wrongfully give Reuven the death penalty. Well, you will get what you tried to give him. That's the Eid Zaymim. Says the Rechaim, the Paschen Yosef was the Eid Zaymim. Ki because we find, Shuevi di Bosom Rolavim. He brought the negative stories. What were the stories? They're eating Aver Minachai, limbs of a living animal. For a Ben Noyach, it's one of the seven mitzvahs, and for Ben Noyach, they get killed for all their mitzvahs. Aver Minachai, they get killed for. Shuhu Omar, he said, Shaochla Aver Minachai. Gam Omar, he also said, Shahim Bali Arayas, they're doing Gili Arayas. Now Rashi just says they were Choshu, they were suspect on, the, on Arayas. But, but uh, the Rechaim seems to say that uh, Yosef's story was much more. He saw Yichud, you know, perhaps. And on each of these, a Ben Chayiv Misa. Now, Yosef is an, a witness. A guy can be killed based on one witness. Without two. They don't have to be warned. Even if the witness is a relative. So Yosef is not two, is only one, and is a relative, but that works for a guy. So Yosef will give the testimony. Yankov will be the judge. Yankov will halachically have to kill them. Good question. Asher al right? Fine. That was out of Rachmanus. They lowered it. You know, instead of killing him, you know, they lowered it. They lowered it. Asher, you know, there's a. We have a concept inside of bigger punishment lies a smaller punishment. There's lots of ramifications. They pass in that. And therefore, they're put in the hands of heaven. They were completely exonerated. They were following the rules of the Eibishter. So then why did they want to kill him 10 at a time? Like, why did they need that trick? Down here, they wouldn't be put they don't have Hazama. Either maybe because they were Bnei Noyach at the time, and therefore Lechayra, Bnei Noyach don't have a din of Hazama. So, in other words, the idea down here, Hazama wouldn't, Bezdan down here wouldn't really buy the argument of Hazama. But Bezdan won't touch them because there was 10 killing him at the same time. I, in front of the Abish, the 10 killing him doesn't work, but the Abish recognizes Hazama. So between the two, that was their. Uh, they had exactly. They'll kill them all together. Why are they parted towards heaven? Because they knew for sure that he wanted to kill them, and they passed him based on age Zaymim, he deserves to die. Zaymim, right, I know exactly. It's not really Zaymim. Right, right. It's not really Zaymim. They, you know, yeah, or mis misjudging the case, misjudging. But they are the Shaila is, the Shaila is. Did they think that Yosef was deliberately misjudging the case, or even if it was accidental, they can kill him? You know, when it comes to a roidif, if a roidif is b'shoigik, the case of the mattress is more like an onus. But what if a roidif is b'shoigik? You know, what if somebody's running after, what if a Goyal Adam is running after someone who he thinks murdered his brother, it's really somebody else. So he, he's a Roidif, but the, the Goyal Adam thinks he's doing a mitzvah. You know, can an onlooker kill him? So it's yeah. a, there's a whole Ursameach about it. It's not so posture, there's arguments going both ways. Because because the guy, in his mind, doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. It's you an know? objective test. It's not a subjective test. No, the, 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 the whether or not somebody's 
chasing somebody. When you kill, kill the roidif, no is it a punishment to the roidif or it's just to save the victim, the potential victim? So the Reb Chaim Oizer in his Sefer Achiezer, he has a piece about roidif. How could you kill a roidif? He hasn't done anything yet. Elamai, the fact that he wants to kill means he's already lost his right for life. Well, if that's the argument, then it's only if, it's, if he knows he's doing something wrong. If he thinks he's doing something right, then you really can't say that argument that the person has lost his right to live. Anyhow, either way, let's get back to the ranch. And all of this was really the Abish of putting things into effect. For Hashem to do as he planned. He has a cute, that's a cute little poetic end. The Abishta ultimately arranged all this to do as he planned, because Yosef needs to go to Mitzrayim, etc. So that's the, that's, that's the words of the Erechab. So, so far, what do we have? Rashi says, just a vague statement, they were looking for lawful pretexts. The Ramban says, no, they were just scheming how to kill him indirectly. But we have a Sforna on the Erechab who both explain, very well with Rashi, that boy, they had lots of halachic backing to their decision. Let's go to the next page. We come to the Shalah number seven. And you'll see where we're going with this. The Shalah famously learns the whole story the following. You know, originally Reuven, the Bechur, was meant to be the firstborn. He was meant to have Kuhuna, and he was supposed to have kingship as well. Now, he lost it all because of the story in last week's Parsha with with uh, Bilo, whatever the story there was. It's a machloikas in Masech the Shabbos, if literally Yankov actually lived with Bilo, if he actually lived with Bilo, or he just played around Reuven, pardon me. By the way, just a, if you want, how could Reuven have actually physically been with Bilo? I mean, what, what overcame him, you know? The Medrash Talpias gives a beautiful pshat. This is not, this is, this is uh, free of charge. The Trumas Hadeshan, the Trumas Hadeshan, one of the last of the Rishonim in the 1400s, he says that, you know, when Elio went to heaven and became an angel, or when Rabbi Shua ben Levi jumped into Gan Eden, we had a shir about this? We yeah. did, yeah? Then their wives automatically became mutter to remarry. Even though, even though in the beginning of, of Masech to Kedushin it says a woman can be released one of two ways, the husband dying or a get. But apparently there's another way. If the husband becomes an angel or he goes into Gan Eden, so the Medrash Talpia says in Patrus Vayishlach, first it says, which, which one shot is Hashem called Yankov Kale, he called him godly. Yankov became angelic. Because Yankov became an angel, says the Medrash Talpias, all of Yankov's marriages with his wives were off. So Bila now is a free, uh, you know, she's a free woman. She's a free woman. He's doing it to affect Yaakov and his relationship with Leah. So you would think if he, to sleep with the, 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 his, his stepmother, it would be to no longer allow Yaakov to be with her anymore, and then it would be that would be part of his plan. That's the. But if it's what's the point if it's if Yaakov's no longer married to them, then you don't have an issue, and you're not stopping. Yaakov but in your version back. of events, his mom is doing one of the the you know one the of the cardinal crimes, it. but the cardinal crimes. Is that a cardinal crimes? What? No, not for a guy. Aishas Av, but she's a Pelegish. She's a Pelegish. No, from his perspective, because it was mutter. 
And also, it's like Pelegish Av after the father died. By a goy for goy to marry his father's wife after the father died. No, he wanted to stop her from being in her After the father dies. And it's like Yankov Tani, he became a Malach. Anyhow, fine, that was just, that was just, okay, all right, all right. This was just in parentheses. Let's go. So the Shalosh says like this after Reuven messed up, we know Reuven lost the Bechayr, it was given to Yosef, right? Yosef gets the double portion. His two sons become Shvatim. The Kahuna went to Levi, and the Malucha went to Yehuda. Yosef has dreams of grandeur. Everyone's going to bow down to him. So you know what the brothers said? You think, Hamolech, Timlech, you're going to be a king over us? Yehuda's already the king. You're usurping the Malchus. Uh-huh. You're a Meirid Bamalchus. Look at the Shalot, number seven. Let's go back to the Malucha of Yosef. Really, Yosef's kingdom wasn't what the brothers thought. Yosef was just going to set the, to plant the seeds, build up a nation, and then give Yehuda the reins. But look at the third line. Vashvatim didn't understand that. Because they thought that Yosef planned to be king forever. Alkain therefore Holchu Doisoin Elavakish Nichlei Dosos, quoting Rashi, right, that it's Nichlei Dosos pretext. Kolayim are to judge him with the pre- with the religion of Torah, and they were all masking he deserves to die. Even Bnei Bil and Zilpa. It's funny. Yosef cared for the children of Bil and Zilpa. Rashi says he cared for them. He told Yaakov, Yaakov, Tata. Leah's kids are making fun of Zilpa and Bil's kids. Yosef cared for them. How they turn on him and want to kill him. Even though they loved him, his skimmel, they agreed. To, Listen, this is our lochik shayla. They said, Mitzad din v'das, ma'achas shechayla, ka'malchus based on it. Yosef was trying to usurp the malucha of Yehuda. V'chol ha'chayla ka'malchus based on it is like chayla ka'lashchina. And that's why God joined. The famous Tanchum, Epirka de Rebeleza, Rashi quotes, they got the Eibishter to join the Cherem. How did the Eibishter get involved? You know why? Says the Shalot Pashut. If you argue on malchus based on you're fighting against God. So the brothers brought Hashem into it. They said, Yosef isn't a, We're not just fighting for Yehuda's glory. We're fighting for you too. That's how the Ebesha got involved. And then he says a fascinating thing. In Parshish Vayigash, right? In the end of Mikesh, the brothers, you know, they seem to have some level of remorse. And in the beginning of Vayigash, when Yosef tells the brothers who he is, the Tanchuma says they wanted to kill him on the spot. So the Shalom wants to know, I didn't get it. In the end of Parshas Mikates, they seem to have remorse. In the beginning of Ayigash, when they see his Yosef, they want to kill him again. Says the Shalom, it's Pashut. You know why they started to have remorse? They thought, you know what, maybe we judged him incorrectly. Maybe Yosef doesn't really want to be king. We were jumping the gun. He just wants to pave the way, plant the seeds, to start a nation, and then hand it over to Yehuda. But then when Yosef tells them he's wearing the clothes and... I'm Yosef and I'm ruling Egypt. They said, ah, he really does want to be king. We talk, we've got to kill him. It's fascinating. He says, Alkane, therefore, when Yosef revealed himself to the brothers and they see that he's a king, they wanted to kill him because they realized, Taka, Hitaka means this. Hitaka, Hitaka wants to be king. Anyhow, Akopon, that's how the Shalom learns. What's the end? The end is how did Yosef appease the brothers? He told them, come close to me. It means he wanted to reveal to them that you're still wrong. Even though I have all this grandeur, I'm still only a preparatory stage. I'm setting the scene, setting the stage in Mitzrayim for the Yidin to come and have Goshen to live. And ultimately, when the Yidin leave Mitzrayim, Hoysa Yehuda Lekadsha, Yehuda was restored as, as the ruler. And he said, Adarabah, Hashem sent me in front of you. 
In front of you means to set the stage for you. To pave the way, set the stage. And the Shalom is a long piece about this. So, yeah, exactly. By the way that Yosef said about his brother, he got to punish himself. Yes, yes, Emes. So, so far we have three shittas of what their psak was. The Sforno, that they, he, they felt he was trying to well, kill them. The Erechayim, the Eid Zoymim. And the Shalom says usurping Malchus. So the Shaila now is beautiful. The Shaila, the Shaila is one. People, they didn't kill them. They could have, right? There's some level of Rahman. The Shaila is if they if they had all of these justifications to so go back to number two. Number two, the Shalah says, why did they have to come back in the ten Adrugim Malchus? Because they erred, they erred somewhere. So they erred in judgment. Now what does it mean they erred in judgment? So for the Shalah, I understand, based on number seven, based on the Shalah's own understanding of the story, I get how they erred. They they misjudge Yosef. Because of their hate, they thought Yosef wants to claim royalty forever. And they were wrong. But there's other ways to explain you know, what the Shalok could have meant that they made a mistake in judgment. There, were, there was perhaps another mistake they made in judgment. What was that? The following. Look at number eight. It's in Shulchan Aruch, in Chayish uh, Mishpat in the beginning. You're not allowed to judge someone you love neither someone you hate. You can't judge someone you love, Asher Kanafsha, look at number eight. You can't judge someone that you hate. Even though he's not your enemy and, and you don't want to hurt him, you still shouldn't judge him because you'll be biased negatively towards him. Both people should be equal, even Stephen in front of the judge. And if you have no idea who either of them are, that's, that's, the, that's the greatest, the, the most pure form of judgment is that there's no bias at all because you have no idea who either of them is. So, oh, so the, the Shulchan Aruch is paskening, someone that you hate, even if you don't hate him completely, you should not judge. Umiyo, however, says the Ramah, if you judge, the name din it works, but the evidence it works. And that's from Van Hagos Ashri Reish Sanhedrin. So the first opinion that Amos says is that for any enemy you should never judge, big enemy or small. If you did, it always works, big or small. The Yeshoimim, some say no. The Besoinoi Mamish, if you Mamish hate the guy, the Hainu Shaloi Dibur Imoi Shaloi Shayom, for three days you didn't speak because you hate him, or Oyeve Mamish, if you Mamish love the Hainu Shashbinovi, your best friend. Be'elu, by these, ain't the name din. So the second opinion holds that, let's speak about the Soina, whether the full-fledged Soina, whether it's only a small enemy, you shouldn't judge. The difference between them, though, is Bediyevit. Once you judge, if it's only a slight guy, you know, you know, a slight guy you have some beef with, it works. But if it's Mamesh a Soina, then it wouldn't work Bediyevit. The Yeshoim, a third opinion says, If you don't love or hate him completely, you're allowed to judge. So you have three opinions here. The Shulchan Aruch says that, let's say, by a son, it doesn't matter if you hate him fully or a little, you should never judge. The Ramah says, and if you did, B'diyevet, it works by both. The second opinion, it says, no, there's a difference in B'diyevet. If your mamish hate the guy, the, the judgment is partially invalid. The third opinion says that the difference is, if you don't mamish hate the guy, you can judge him. It's only midas not to. Now, the Torah says that the brothers hated Yosef. And not just that, it says three times they hated him. And it says they continued to hate him. And then it says again, they, three levels of hatred. 
A, because they saw Yankov loved Yosef, he gave him the Xenus Pasim. B, the dreams, I mean, the dreams irked, and the, the Diba, the fact that he was telling all the stories to his father, it irked them. And you know, the Torah says they hated him, for th- it says three times, maybe because of the three reasons. A, the Xenus Pasim, the favoritism. B, Yosef's dreams that he was boasting about. And C, the negative stories he was informing their father. So they hated him. So the Shas of Bechal, how'd they judge him? They, they were full Sona. Three Dargis of Sin is definitely a Sona Mamish, right? It Bechal, you can't do it. And according to the second opinion that Ramah brings, even B'dayevit, it's, it's not that you can't do it. It doesn't even work. It's not a Psak at all. So the Shaila is, but the Ramah said this only if you don't speak to him for three days out of uh, hate. The Torah says the brothers were not able to speak to him, Lashalim, for peace. <coughs> So does that mean they didn't speak to him at all? Rashi says, you see the praise of the Shvatim. Some people are achas peper, achas belev. In the heart, they hate you, but they speak nicely. He says the brothers didn't do, they didn't speak nicely. That means they spoke negatively. So he's, but the Ramah said it's only if you don't speak to him at all out of hate. It seems an answer for this is the brothers, the other brothers who joined in, the Shifka's brothers, didn't hate. They only did it because of halacha, so they wouldn't be... Ah, okay, nice. because they definitely were not leading the best in here. It was the older brothers that were, no, and they, they hated. Probably they were the ones that's finally the, the cream. Okay, so look at number 10 for a second. Number 10 is Reb Shloy McLuger. Reb Shloy McLuger. In number 10, he says, he says, I sent to Tshuva to Stanislav. It's in my safe in Yerdeh, Simon Aleph, Masha Kasav Tisham. He says, "Bizman azed shchichi hamadabim echad bepeh vechad belev." Said Shlomo Kluger, "These days, lots of people are echad bepeh vechad belev. They speak nicely, but in their heart, ay ay ay." Vuhutra haratzua. That means that you know it's become permitted. Ladaber sheker baze. I'm sorry, ladaber sheker. Sorry, the yipashut. They 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 speak falsely. They speak like they're your friend, and really they're your greatest enemy. Called the nicker to have a soyna mamish, he says, as long as it's clear that the guy is a soyna, after Medab, even though he speaks to him, wow. have a soyna mamish is still considered an enemy, or possible a So says with Shlomo Kluger, if you know that the guy hates him, even if he doesn't, you know, even if he's speaking to him, right? Even if he speaks nicely, even if he speaks nicely, for sure, if you speak negatively, you don't need the law of no speech at all. Now, it happens to be the brothers Bechal were in, they were in a different city. But you could say they didn't speak to him because they were just out of town. Had they been there, they would have talked to him negatively. But maybe the dinner of the Ramah is only if you don't speak at all. I mean, it's based on a Gemara. But Shlomo Kluger say, no, no, it doesn't have to be that. If it's clear the guy's a Sona, the guy's a Sona. I don't care if he speaks nicely, says Shlomo Kluger. How much more so if they would speak negatively? Still exactly. Not a lot. And according to the second Pshad of the Ramah, it's Bechlal, it's a, it's a baseless, the Din has no validity. So the Shail is, weren't the Shvatim aware of this? For a Benoyach, a relative is one thing, but how could a Sona, no, how could a Sona judge? How could a Sona judge? So we come to number nine. This is really the, the highlight of the Shir. It's a tshuva of the Chavis Yoyer. Chavis Yoyer, Yorachayim Bachrach. He lives in the 1600s in Germany, one of the greatest of the Achroinim. A fascinating tshuva. I am betshuva's Chavis Yoyer in the end of the Sefer, Bashmatis. It's in the end of the Sefer, you know, in the, in the stuff at the back. Shekosav Maistel, the story higher. Echod Lovamimeniyah. The Chavis Yoyer was a, apparently had guilt also. Somebody borrowed from him. The Torah part. When the time came to pay back, the borrower said, "I paid half. I paid half already." 
and the Chavisyor brought him to Din, and the guy swore that he paid back already a certain amount, and it, would, it never happened. A year later, this guy came to the Chavisyor for Din Torah. Says the Chavisyor, I did not want to take his case. Now, he says, so he says, why not? Now, generally, if somebody's a Russia, the Gemara says, you're allowed to hate a Russia. Right? So, wait a second. Anytime someone does Navera, if they're considered a Russia, you're allowed to hate them. If you hate them, you're a Sainer, then you can't judge. So, maybe he didn't want to judge the guy because he was a Russia. He says, that can't be, because then a Russia could never come to a Dintaira. Right? Anyone that ever did Navera could never come before a judge. He knows about it. Yeah, the Imken, he says, call Russia with Tzadik Nami. Now, he says, that's not the reason. Because then, because then any time a Russia or a Tzadik comes right. to me, I can't judge the case because I love the Tzadik and I hate the Russia. So he says, no, no, no. You're allowed to judge a Russia. Ah, you're allowed to hate him. So what's the Pshat? He says, the Rambam writes on Hedrin, He says, you know what the reason is? He says, very simple. If you despise somebody because they're a Russia, you're despising their actions. Brilliant. And you're doing it because God said to do it. In other words, the Abishter wants you to, to have a disdain for this person's way of life. It's not personal. It's not personal. So you won't have a negative bias towards them in judgment. Exactly. Um, don't uh, pervert the justice. You have to say, if somebody is acts as a Russia, you're allowed to hate him, but at the time of judgment, they're both going to be equal to you. Because it's not a natural hate. If you hate someone because they break Shabbos, it's not a natural hate, it's not personal. You disdain and despise their actions, their way of life. So ain't lochish the daite it's not going to cause a bias. You're not going to be biased at the time of judgment. And v'loy chozles chusa to say you won't see any merit like Bashar seiner. A regular seiner is personal. But here's the thing. So let's say like this. On the one, hold, 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 hold. on the one hand, you have someone, someone you mamish don't like personally. You can't judge. You're biased. Somebody who breaks Shabbos before Hesse, or someone who does other averus and really gets under your skin. It's not personal. But then you have a middle case. What if somebody did not vary, but it's against you. When you hate them, why do you hate them? Is it altruistic? They did not vary. Or because it's personal. And the question is, do you have the right to say, I only hate him because he did the Avera. It's not because it was against me. Or do you have to be concerned, maybe, maybe, there's a little bit of a personal vendetta over here. So it says the Chavishim HaShem, Kishah if this person did to the judge himself a Maiseresha, a bad act, or Shum Dover, anything, that gives the dying a bad feeling, definitely should not judge. You have to be concerned. You're going to be concerned that maybe because it was against me, I will be biased. Don't say I hate him only because he did a, he did a bad act. It was against me. Maybe, maybe, there's exactly, he stole from me. You can't, I hate him because he's a Ganev. You've got to be concerned. Yeah, but who did he steal from you? Maybe there's a personal vendetta over here. In other words, you don't have the right to completely exonerate yourself and say that, no, I am altruistic over here. I'm only hating him for his action. You don't have the right to say that. So comes Rabbi Yosef, of, Rabbi Yosef Salanter. 
There were a number of people. There's obviously there's uh, Yisrael Salanter. He was a student of somebody by the name of Yosef Zundel of Salant. Yosef Zundel of Salant was an incredible, incredible gun. No, he must have said. Yosef Zundel Salant was one of the greatest students of Reb Chaim Velozhner. And uh, actually, he would often travel to Reb Chaim Velozhner to speak and learning and get hadracha and learning. When Chaim Velozhner passed away, he would go to Reb Kiveger. I mean, he was a big fellow, this Yosef Zundel Salanter, and he taught Yisrael Salanter, the, you know, the father of Musa. He taught him Nigla, and Reb Yosef Salanter, I'm sorry, Reb Yisrael Salanter writes incredible things about his Rebbe, about Reb Yosef Zundel. He says he's definitely, he says he might even be the greatest scholar alive, he says. But no one knows about it. <laughs> it's a hidden secret. He says, as great, as masterful as my teacher is in learning, as masterful as he in, you know, in the camouflage, covering up, no one knows about it, but I know about it. It's interesting, this Yosef Zundel Salanta, he had a son-in-law by the name of Shmuel Salant. Shmuel Salant ended up going to Eretz Yisrael, and he was a rov in Eretz Yisrael. It's actually a great story. I love this story. It's a cute story. When Shmuel Salant was a Rav, so one morning, it was the morning of Pesach, first day Yom Tov. He's in Shul, and one of his Balabatim comes in. As he tells the Balabas, no, how was your Seder last night? Because a couple weeks ago, you just your daughter got married, you know, your first son-in-law. How was the first Seder with your son-in-law? The Balabas says, don't ask. It was horrible. <laughs> what happened? So... Uh, he said, during soup by Shulchan Eirech, all of a sudden, my son-in-law, he finds a wheat kernel in the soup, in the hot soup. And he screamed, wheat, chametz. He says, it was bizarreness. My wife was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. I, it, was, it was horrible. You know, it destroyed the whole evening. Shev Shmuel said, wait a second. He said, come outside. He called the son-in-law to come outside as well. People see the three of them walking out. The whole shul went outside to the street. Shmuel Salan tells the son-in-law, give me your shreimel. Takes his shreimel, starts banging the shreimel. <laughs> Wheat kernels start pouring out. <laughs> the minigin Yerushalayim by the Ufruf was to throw wheat kernels at the chosin. To throw wheat kernels, because it was a simon, just like wheat you plant and grow. So they said, the, so the hayroah was that before you point fingers at somebody, sometimes you've got to check your own shreimel. Sometimes you've got to check your own shreimel. <laughs> Anyhow, so uh, what? Take off your hat when you eat. <laughs> 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 that would have also worked. <clears throat> so after Shmuel Salanta, there was a fellow by the name of Yosef Tzvi Salanta. And he was also in Eretz Yisrael. I think he was in Yerushalayim too. Yosef Tzvi Salanta. And he wrote a sefer called Be'er Yosef, an incredible sefer. In fact, Rub Shloim Zalman Erbach, who is more famous to us because he was a good friend of Lubavitch, when he was a young man in the early 1900s, this, uh, the Be'er Yosef, Yosef Tzvi Salanter, was a big man of Shiva, and he gave Shiurim, and, and he had all these chidushim in Chumash. And Shloim Azamar Orbach, who was a big scholar, even as a, as a young man, he told this uh, Yosef Tzvi Salanter, these chidushim are gold, they're diamonds, you've got to write it down. So he convinced him to put out his sefer known as Be'er Yosef. In the Be'er Yosef, says Rabbi Yosef Salanter, you know what the brother's mistake was? When the Shalos says they made a mistake in judgment, they didn't know the din of the Chavis Yor. They knew, they knew that you can't judge someone that you hate. But they thought, they knew they hated Yosef, boy, by Yosefu, by Yosefu. But they said, you know why we hate him? It's, I, 
He's telling stories on us. He's gloating. He's boasting with his chalaymas. We hate him altruistically. It's not personal. What they didn't know is that in this middle case, when someone does navay, but it's against you, the Chavis Yor says you don't have the right. You can't justify yourself and say, you know, I'm on holy ground here. I'm only hating the guy because, uh, be- exactly, because he's going against Abishta. You have to be worried, maybe, maybe the personal vendetta. And that's what they didn't know. That was their mistake. That was their mistake in judgment. That is fascinating. Anyhow, with this, just to see number 10, uh, and, then, and then we'll wrap it up in the next three minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in number 10, Rabionis and Eibeshitz has a commentary on Haftarah, on this week's Haftarah. And he says, Al Michram Bakesh Tzadik, they sold Yosef for money. He says, Yesh Lahaksha, says Rabionis and Eibeshitz, who's saying the Pasuk? Amos. Where did Amos live? In the Northern Kingdom. He should talk to Yehud in the Southern Kingdom. Who sold Yosef? Who sold Yosef for money? It was Yehuda's idea. Yehuda's in the southern kingdom. Hello, Yehuda, Reish HaMedabrim. He said, let's sell him. And Amos didn't give prophecy to the southern kingdom. He was in the northern kingdom. He's talking to the wrong crowd. That's an interesting question. He says, no, beautiful. Venir alone, he says, you have to know the Shalom. Why did they sell him? Because if he should based Yehuda, you know why they sold him? Because Yosef was married by Malchus. And that was an excuse to Yehuda. Yehuda was always justified, and therefore Amos had nothing to tell Shevet Yehuda. But the northern kingdom, they broke away from Yehuda, right? When Shlomo passed away and his son Rechavim was king, that's when the split happened. The northern kingdom, they chose Yeruvim, who's from Ephraim, to be king. They chose Yeruvim to be king? I thought, I thought they sold Yosef because they wanted to stand up for Yehuda's kingdom. Now they're taking Yosef, which is Ephraim. Against Yehuda's kingdom. Ah, yeah. oh, so you don't care about Yehuda. Now we're going to pin you for selling Yosef. <laughs> in the times of Rechavim, as it's known. They said, we don't have a portion in David. Hakavana, what they meant was, They said, there could be other kings too. And therefore, Imam Amos brings up the issue to them. You sold Yosef for money, Zay Yosef. What was your justification? Because Yosef was rebelling against the Malchus of Yehuda, but you also married the Malchus Yehuda. So that's why Amos only spoke to the Northern Kingdom, because they lost their justification. <laughs> you care about Yehuda. You guys have completely broken away. You see, oh, why shoes? The armor, Bavur, why shoes? The Indians like this. Why was Yosef sold as a slave? It was the, the tables turned. He wanted to be a king. That was his dreams. That was his dreams. So therefore he became an evet. He says, in those days, a servant was not allowed to wear a shoe. A shoe was only for free people. In addition, all acquisitions were done through a shoe like we have in Rus, because an evet can't make an acquisition. So acquisitions were done through shoes because shoe, Avodim didn't wear shoes, only free people, and only free people could make acquisitions, right? Whatever an Evid acquires goes to his master. So says Rebbeinah and he wanted to be the king, they would be the Evid. They flipped it. They said, you're the Evid, and we're the guy wearing the shoes. We're the guy walking around wearing the shoes, which represents that we're going to be the free people. In other words, that the dreams had an exact topsy-turvy, exact 180. Instead of us being the servant, you're the king, we're going to flip it. But quickly just tell you two other answers why the shoes. Rabzalman Sarotskin. Rabzalman Sarotskin wrote a beautiful Piddush on Chumash Haznaim Latoyer. 
He says, you know why the shoes? He says, based on everything we learned. They made a psak din that Yosef should be sold. He says, when Yosef was a pampered boy, when he was in the hands of the Arab, he says, you could be sure the brothers thought maybe Yosef was killed already. So then they should be sitting shiva. If you sit shiva, you can't wear shoes. But if someone's killed by Bezdin, Haruge Bezdin, you don't sit Avelis. The brothers wanted to demonstrate what we did to Yosef was just justified. It was a psak. We gave with all the different reasons that we saw. And therefore, yeah, Yosef could be dead. We're walking around with shoes. There's no Avelis over here. No Avelis over here. Now I'll tell you the vote of the Chidah. And this is unbelievable. The Chidah says, you know why they bought shoes? Because all other items of clothing, you have to make a Shechiyonu. How are they going to make a Shechion or something they bought with money that came from selling their brother? Shoes is one item you don't make a Shechion. But why? Why not? Because leather shoes, an animal had to die for it. You can't make a Shechion on leather shoes if it came through the, an animal has to die. So the Chidah says, look at the Potsuk number one. What's Amos' rebuke? What's his rebuke? Amos doesn't say because the fact you sold Yosef. He says the fact you sold him for shoes. Why was it Amos' rebuke? Said the Chidah, brilliant. Amos is telling them, why'd you guys buy shoes? Why'd you guys buy shoes? Because you didn't want to make a Shechionu. Why don't you make a Shechionu on shoes? Because how could you make a Shechionu when an animal had to die? You care about animals dying and your own brother does, doesn't bother you. That was the issue. The fact that they sold them for shoes was the issue. That demonstrates what you guys, you care about the suffering of an animal. And there's no Shechionu on shoes. But for your own brother, you would sell them to one? Anyhow, all right. This ends our discussion for today. What? Yeah. They should have made a Shechionu. At least it would have been equal. It would have been... Uh... <laughs>